as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It's a lot in this picture, I know. But the, it, the chapter starts with um, them asking a the question, who's worthy to open the scroll and to break its seal? In other words, who's worthy to reveal the plan of God? And no one was worthy to do that except for this one who's called the Lamb. Um, in fact, he's called the Lamb. Uh, and he's also called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And, of course, that refers to Jesus. So Jesus is going to reveal the plan of God. And think about Revelation is revealing the plan of God at the end of the age. All right? Now, look what's included in God's plan. It says that Jesus comes and he takes the, the, um, the scroll from uh, the right hand of God. And when he, the moment he took the scroll was a significant time, right? It says the, the, live, the four creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each of these elders are holding something. They're holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Let me ask a question. What is incense? Huh? I mean, what, 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 what would the, the, the regular purpose of incense today be? Malachi? Okay, a, a fragrance, a good smell, right? A good aroma to, to fill the room, all right? So that's what they, they have is it says they're holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. So the incense is, is in these bowls that they hold. They just happen to be made out of gold, right? Um, and it says this incense, and you get the right answer to this, they're representing the prayers of the saints. In other words... Someone has taken and collected all the prayers and put them into this bowl. Put them into this bowl. They're the prayers of the saints. So God has collected our prayers. Think about that. It's, it's kind of like um, you would collect all the letters that someone special has sent you. And you kept all of those letters, and you kept them in a box, and you take them out, and you want to read them at a special time. God has collected all the prayers of the saints, and I want you to see what he does with them. Um, it says here, they sang a new song. Um, and so we have to get to chapter 8, where we see kind of what happens with these, these prayers. So let's turn to Revelation 8. first couple verses there. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, now you know there were seven seals and he finally it's got a really climatic he, he gets to the all the seals and then the seventh seal, there's a lot of drama when he opens this seventh seal. But he says, when he opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. 
Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and, the seven, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the Lord. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Let's just take a moment to take that in. The incense is lit and set on fire so you can get the fragrance of it. Think about this. Prayers are, 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 are pictured here as a pleasant aroma to who? To God. They're set before him so that he can ah, take that in. Like, oh, I like that. God is saying he likes the aroma of the prayers of his saints. It's special to him. They're like incense, and they have a pleasing aroma to him. Um, now, we go on. It says, um, let me read verse 4 again. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. You get the picture now? This aroma is going up before God. And then this angel takes this, um, he takes a censer, and he throws it on the earth. What happens? It's like a big explosion, right? Kapoom! So it's, it's like judgment is coming on the earth. Let me give you the picture that I get from, from all of this. God holds our prayers dear. And at the coming age, at the end of the age, he is taking up all those prayers from all of the ages. It's like he's remembering them and he's bringing judgment on the earth. Later on in Revelation, there, there's a count where they say, Lord, when will you avenge our suffering in our death. In other words, he's saying, God, we've been abused, we've been mistreated all in all of history because we trusted you. When are you going to avenge that? And here's the picture of him doing that. He's going to set the record straight. In other words, he knows his people have suffered and he loves their prayer and their cry to him. And he's going to answer that in a great and, and uh, in, in a mighty, dramatic way. And that he's going to answer that with his judgment. In other words, he's saying, y'all been picked on a long time. You've been treated bad for a long time. I am going to step in and act. I've been waiting for this moment. And now... Here it comes. I've heard you all along, and now I'm moving to action. So God is saying, I love the prayers of my saints. I hear it, and I'm storing it up for a special time when I'm going to act on all of that. I love that picture about God. I love that picture because we go through a lot, a lot of suffering, a lot of toil, and, and it's not just you and I, but saints over all the age have suffered. It reminds me of, 
of the Matthew passage when um, we were talking about John the Baptist and he was asking Jesus, hey, what's up? Is, is it going to happen yet? What, are, you the, are you the person? And, and he was a bit discouraged. He was looking for God's hand. And God, God is saying, John, I'm going to answer you. Just hold on a little bit. Hold on a little bit longer. And at the end of this age, God is going to answer all of his saints that cry out for his help, that cry out for his justice. What we're saying is, God, this world is a mess. Are, are you going to judge it and set it straight? God says, I've been patiently waiting all of this time. And when the time comes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take into account all the prayers of the saints. For the, all the times you cried out to me and you've been wrongly treated and Satan has, has bombarded you with all types of things, I haven't forgotten those things. I've heard those prayers. I've stored them up. And in the end of the age, I'm going to unleash my judgment with your prayers. Boom. On the earth. And, um, you know, the Bible says, Vengeance is mine. God says this. Vengeance is his. He will repay. Um, and he, in, he will, in fact, repay that. And he's going to recall all of our prayers, not just ours, but saints throughout all the ages. From the very first one, Abel, who suffered for righteousness' sake, to his own son, and all the righteous that have suffered, including those of us who, who have gone through hardships because, <clears throat> because of our faith. God treasures our prayers. And here in Revelation, it says, before this, before this age ends, I want to show you that I'm going to deal with those. So be faithful to that in his time. And uh, he has not forgotten us. He will not um, abandon us. And he will take justice uh, in regard to, to the things that are going on in our life. Good evening, saints. We are now in the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. And we'll focus on a smaller section today. It says... That's not our meditation music. That's some good giving music, though. Amen. All right. So we're going to be in Hebrews 13. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, but thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will focus on that today. It's going to be a shorter section. What keys of this book 
you think he's focusing on here? think he's focused on in this section. Hmm? Purity? Okay. Okay. Hospitality? What else? Brotherly love? What else do you see? All right. Why don't we do this? Because that's what we're doing. We're taking it piecemeal. So let's just take it, the pieces that we see here. See, brotherly love. Hospitality is second. Remembering those who are in prison and those who are mistreated. Marriage being honorable. Being content with what you have. And remembering the Lord. What do these things have in common? Now, that's the hard part. So here's the thing that's hard about understanding God's word. It's not just a random grocery list. Let's say I go to the store, right? And I'm about to go to the store. And then my wife, right before I leave the door, let's say I have a list. And my right before I leave the door, my wife, oh, don't forget the apples. And I write apples is on the bottom. Why is it on the bottom? Because I've almost forgot to get apples, right? There is no rhyme or reason for the list. Is just a list. God's word is not a grocery list. It is never in random order. There is something about it that is made, right? So think about it this way. God's word is also very efficient. What do I mean by efficient? That means it's not wasted. Imagine, this is what Bruce Lee did. Anybody know who Bruce Lee is? Bruce Lee used to beat up a lot of people who did Kung Fu. You know why? It wasn't just because he was a better athlete than them, even though he was a better athlete than many of them. It's because a lot of their ancient ways, they used to do weird stuff that didn't have anything to do with knocking the opponent out or down. Okay? So their martial arts was inefficient. So they would be doing a move like this, which is a palm. But before they did that palm, they'd be like, Buddha is the sun, palm. Okay? And I know that seems silly to you, but that is real. Okay? So he will be like, what's all this? I'm just doing this. And because he was more efficient than them, he beat them. But now we have something even more efficient than martial arts. You know what that is? It's mixed martial arts. Why is it that somebody who practices martial arts gets beat up all the time by people who practice mixed martial arts? You know why? It's more efficient. It's just more efficient. They don't sit there and be like, well, I'm not going to punch your eyes because guess what? Your eyes are weak. And the mixed martial artist doesn't have that. He don't got that kind of martial arts, get all these rules and forms. They'd be like, forget the forms. I'm knocking you out. And for a lot of us, we couldn't really even watch mixed martial arts because it just seemed too vicious, right? But vicious is efficient. God's word is efficient. When you read it, it is not wasted. And when you understand God's word, what else is God's word described as? Is it described as a sword? What is a sword? All the weight of the sword goes to the point that hits where it needs to hit. 
That's why swords have weight. So if you see a book and it's got 13 chapters like Hebrews, it's actually probably only saying a couple things. And all the chapters that you see in between are just the weight of the sword. So when it hits that edge, it hits that edge hard. So what is the book of Hebrews about? What are the three keys? Faith, Jesus, three ages, okay? So you got these three things. This section seems odd. If you come to a section that seems odd and it's hard sometimes to fit it into what you know the book is about, either you have to do one or two things. Either you have to change what you think the book is about, or you have to think, what does these things have in common? Because they seem like a random list to me. When I'm reading through, it seems random. Why is he listing all these things? And that should make us struggle. And, and I'm not saying the answer should just pop out to you because it doesn't, right? Listen, God's word takes work. You know the best key to understand God's word? Read it a million times. You know how you can even understand it more than that? Read it two million times. In other words, it just takes work to go through and go through and go through. But don't just do it mindlessly. Do it with the effort of saying, refining your idea. What is this book about? How is it that Jesus could walk on the road to Emmaus and point out the Old Testament and point out all the scriptures about him? How did he do that? How could he do that? How could he say, all the scripture points to me? I would have a hard time doing it. Of course, Jesus didn't have a hard time because he knew the scripture, but he knew the point. Oftentimes, when you hear somebody talk about scripture, what they're missing is the point. Right? If somebody talks to you and you're getting bored, why are you getting bored? They ain't getting to the point. What's the point of the list, right? What's the point? The writer of Hebrews, right? We don't know who it is. I was going to say Paul, but we don't know that. What's the, what's the point? What's brotherly love based off of? Why do we love our brothers? What did you say? Okay, the Bible commands you to. So if he didn't command you, you wouldn't have no desire to love your brother? Because Christ loved us, okay? We're a unit together, right? What's got brothers and sisters in Christ got in common? Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It starts off and says, let brotherly love continue. What's the outpouring of our faith? It's obviously our brotherly love. Here's another outpouring of our faith. If we really believe that there is a spiritual realm, and we believe that there could be invisible angels and demons that we're interacting with, we might treat people with different kind of levels of respect because we will believe this verse if we have faith, right? We may just say to ourselves, you know what? God could be sending this person to me. Even if that's not an angel, God sent him. I believe in God's sovereignty. I believe God is in control. This person's not a random stranger. This person is a person that God marked on the path of my life. I guess I got to treat them a little differently. What does an atheist think? An atheist thinks this is just an accident that we bumped into each other. What's the Christian think? This is God's purpose. 
It's a different thought. So we should treat strangers differently. Why? Because we have faith. Remember those who are in prison and others who are mistreated. Why do we remember them? Do we feel bad for them? Partially. It does mention that. But because we know that they're in prison, and this is, this is not about Pookie and Ray Ray, right? Right? This ain't about pray for my grandson. I know he murdered somebody, but I want him to get out in two years. It's not about that. It's about people who delivered the gospel and got thrown in prison. So we remember them. Why? Because our faith unifies us, doesn't it? He said, let marriage be held in honor among all. Why should marriage be held in honor? Because God holds it in honor. Why should we not engage in sexual immorality? Do people really care? Well, truth be told, it seems like in this world they don't. But who does care? God cares. If we have faith in God, we believe our behavior will have ramifications in the world to come. So ultimately what we see is a little bit of three ages in here, don't we? But what we see is what the outcome of our faith should be. Keep your life free from the love of money. What's the problem with money? The problem with money is you can see it. And you can see what it do. You can see what money can do. Money can do a lot of things. In fact, the Ecclesiastes got a funny verse about that. It says, this and this, the, uh, the leak is, this is happening, this is happening, but money solves everything. It says sarcastically. We seem to think money solves everything. Man, the church ain't giving enough. I wish we could just get one rich person saved. We wouldn't have to worry about that no more. But what does God say? I wish my people would have more faith that the people that I put in this ministry could sustain it. And if they truly believe that I put them here to sustain this ministry, wouldn't they be giving? That's how God thinks. We think the problem is the money. God says the problem is the faith. It's the way you think about it, right? Which perspective are you thinking about? Are you thinking about it as an accountant? That it's just a math problem? Or are you thinking about it as God is a faith problem? He then turns from that to God. What does he say? God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If we have money problems, what should we be thinking about? God doesn't leave us. If we have fear of man problems, what should we be thinking? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, the answer to that question is pretty obvious. He can kill you. He can hurt you. He can torture you. But here's the thing. He can't take your salvation. He can't take your eternal security. He can't take your home in the age to come. He can scare you. He can intimidate you if you let him but he can't take away your purpose in God. He can belittle you, but he can't take away the honor that God put in you. He can criticize you. He can slander you, but he can't take away the character that God put in you. He can do a lot of things, but he can't do nothing compared to the work of God, if you believe in the work of God. 
So the question is, where's our faith? This section is about believing in Jesus. It's about faith. It's about the practical outcome of faith. Because here's the thing that people and I struggle with. I tend to think of faith as too spiritual and not practical. Why am I not giving? It's because I don't believe. Why am I not loving my brother? It's because I don't believe that God sees this in my heart. Why did I not study enough for this study or study enough for this sermon or do that? Because I don't believe that the effort that I put in will be rewarded by God. Ultimately, it's a faith question. So we got to ask ourselves, where are we putting our faith? That's what this section is all about. Where do we put our faith? Amen. closed. We are back to our private session and we will take any prayer requests you have.